gather round, take a seat, relax. It's the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Epson, right here on 101.9 High FM. This is 101.9 High FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Epson. It's a privilege and an honor to be here with you on this Tuesday. Um, you were just listening to Mati Steinitz singing Oida. It's quite a, a long piece, but uh, chosen for today, just a magnificent uh, piece that was shared live about a year ago. And uh, yeah, I enjoy sharing the music, and please God, uh, I always say that at least the music is definitely good. The show, we don't know that much, <laughs> depending on the depending on, like, I guess, the content and the mood of the day. So it's always healthier to put good music out there. Anyway, it's Tuesday. It's the beginning of a new month. But the Hebrew month, we're already about a week into it, right? The 7th of Cheshvan, and Israel is starting to pray for rain. We have a while. We have over a month until we start praying for rain in diaspora. And... It's the 1st of November, and growing, living in Joburg, we know what November feels like. It's like December, but it's not December yet, so can, can we meet? No, sorry, Rabbi, I'm just like, it's November, I'm sorry. Like, okay, fine. When can we meet next? Um, well, November is busy, December on the way, January on the way, February, my kids are going back to varsity. But how about... Oh, March is Pesach, late April, Rabbi. We can meet that. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, November is still a month. Cheshvan is definitely a month. It is a very different month than the month we came out of, but nevertheless, it is a month. So that's where we are. We are here living in the routine and trying to embrace the routine. Even the Israeli election going on today, unfortunately, is already feeling like routine. Five elections in a few years. And as we explored last week, the, the power to live in the routine is really where the big test of life is. It's not in the high moments and in the powerful transcendent moments. It's in the day-to-day. And if you look into this week's parsha, Lech Lecha, and we start reading the story of Avraham and Sarah, Abraham and Sarah, and the life they lived. Yes, there were miraculous events, but on the most part, it's, it's, it's the routine life. I mean, their life was anything but typical, but it describes their day-to-day living, the kind of life they lived. And it was that way that it built up into the Am Yisrael, the Jewish people. And the truth is, all monotheistic religions that trace itself back to Avraham and Sarah. So I actually want to focus on one point in their narrative as well as in the, the biblical narrative as Chief Rabbi Sachs focuses, he kind of shines light that the whole book of Breshit, the whole first book of the Torah, the whole book of Genesis from one perspective can be seen as family dynamics, specifically sibling dynamics, but more extensively, family dynamics, right? Starts off with the first family, Adam, his wife Chava. There are three sons. Well, first two sons, Cain and Abel, then Cain kills Hevel, right? Abel is killed. And then the third son, 
that no one talks about, but the truth is he's the father of all humanity, Seth, Shaith. Shaith. Fine. Then it moves on to another big family that's the hero of the second Pasha, that is Noah. Noah, and Rashi tells us Noah's wife's name was Naamah, and they have their children, Shem, Cham, and Yafet, the three sons, and through them the whole world gets rebuilt after the, the flood. And then we read in this week's Pasha about Avram and Sarah and their children. First, Avram's son Ishmael that he has with Hagar, then Yitzchak that he has with, Rif- with Sarah. Then Yitzchak and Rivka get married. I'm going to read about that in two, part, in two weeks' time. And they have two sons, Yaakov and Esau, the twins. And the whole family dynamics that goes on between them. And then Yaakov gets married and he has his four wives. And they have twelve children. And then there's the whole dynamics between Yosef and his brothers, which pretty much carries the last third of the book. It's all about family dynamics. You know, you'd imagine that the beginning of a religion, the beginning of a, of a new movement, would be about individuals, about a dynamic leader and the individuals that surrounded him. And in many other religions, that is the, the founding narrative. But in Yiddishkeit, Judaism, the founding narrative is about families. And the complexity of families, but how it all came within the family. Yes, Avram managed to create many converts from outside, but ultimately most of them deserted him eventually or left, and it, it stayed within the family. And eventually it was that family, um, Jacob's family, with the, the grandchildren and great-grandchildren, except for the 70 of them come into the land of Egypt as B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, literally Jacob's second name. Jacob's second name was Israel. And through them, they slowly start forming the nation that we know of today as Am Israel, Israel. And over the hundreds of years in Egypt, it kind of forms into a full-on powerhouse. And then they go out as a family, and they go to Sinai, etc. The idea that Judaism started as a family is a very, very powerful theme, something that needs more light shedding on. In other words, we have to focus on it and look at it because it then gives us a whole different perspective about how to see our families. Our families are not just, oh, I love somebody, we got married, we now have children, and it's a cute little unit. No, family is the bedrock of everything. And we live in a time that family is, is weakening the appreciation of family, the appreciation of marriage, relationships between children and their parents, and therefore, I think it's never a better time than the present to focus on family, to turn the light in that direction, which is what we're going to do here on the 101.9 Chai FM. We're on the Fabringen show. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9 Chai FM. This is 101.9 Chai FM, my name is Rabbi Levi Avtson, and here we are on the Fabringen show. And we're talking about family. That's at the heart of the book of Breshit, the book of Genesis. But in general, it's the heart of our nation, it's the heart of civilization. And it's something that obviously most of us know intuitively, and we all grew up within families, or most of us do. 
and it's an ideal that I'd imagine we believe in, but I don't think we spend enough time focusing on how important it is and how hard we have to fight for the family units, for children to grow up in healthy family homes. Um, how to fight for marriage to work. Uh, obviously, I'm not talking about exceptional cases of abuse, but a bit too often we're seeing a nonchalant attitude to, oh, okay, I'll be happier alone, so I'm out um, in divorce. Or parents that start talking to their children, or children that start talking to their parents. And, and yes, I still believe there are many healthy families. Um, as Tolstoy wrote, I believe, he said, all healthy families are the same, and all dysfunctional families are different. There's different dysfunctionalities to each family, and everyone that you talk to will have a great excuse why they don't talk to their sibling, their parent, their ex, their child. Um, but the fundamental narrative is wrong. Yes, there are excuses and there's reasons, but the narrative is, do I want to make it work? Am I fighting for it to work? Or am I putting on my clothing of self-righteousness and saying they mistreated me and therefore they don't deserve to talk to me ever again. And breaking family or saying, well, you know, I'm a modern person and I don't need to be in a relationship for so long, so I'm going to pack my bags and leave because I deserve my own happiness, which is such a modern narrative. Obviously, we all, we all should have happiness, but we also have to honor our commitments. And... The, the narrative today is it puts the, the individual as the center of the universe and basically everything is doesn't make me happy so I know of parents who pretty much left uh, their spouse and children and said okay I'm sorry I'm out because my children aren't making me happy um, go on to the other side of the world because this is not you know I don't want this in my life and you can talk about it from multiple perspectives, or from a moral perspective, it's important. I mean, you don't want to brought a child into this world, it's your obligation to raise them. It's your obligation to be there for them. No one asks you to bring a child, but if you do, you have a commitment. Nobody asked you to propose to an individual and get married, but if you made, if you decided to build a union together, and you either, whether you articulated it or not, you imply until death does us apart, then yes, unless there's something really, really tragic going on, some abuse, your word is your bond. And when you just hear people say, it's, it's my truth, it's my happiness, it's, it's hurtful, it's ridiculous actually, if you think about it, because it doesn't lead to happiness. When somebody just worships their own happiness, that's narcissism. And it never leads to true happiness, because you suddenly look around and there's no one around you supporting you. There's no one around you that likes you because you put yourself at the center of the universe and suddenly everyone's like, oh boy, okay. Um, that person doesn't know how to put other people first. And when you see the narrative that's so strong in the world today of yourself comes first, your happiness, your truth. You know, I, I remember when the iPhone came out, everyone was like, I, 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 I. But even... I don't think we really appreciated how dangerous the narrative is when you put yourself as the center of reality. But I think now we're seeing it. We're seeing it in incredible um, struggles, people struggling with their mental health, 
obviously mental health is not just narrative, there's biology, there's chemical imbalance, there's lots of dynamics, but there's no question, and research has shown, that as people lose social structures, as the people who are lonely, um, it causes a huge rise in mental health issues, etc. England even appointed a few years ago a minister of loneliness because it was such a pandemic. It was literally rampant everywhere. So when a person is not having relationships, and a person's not investing in relationships, that will have huge consequences on their space. When you tell somebody it's all about you, when you tell somebody that life's only about chasing your dreams, you think you're doing them a favor, you think you're giving them wings to fly, but you're actually chopping their wings because what's going to give them real happiness and meaning and purpose later on in life is relationships. So if they're chasing their dreams at the expense of relationship, at the expense of, of humility, at the expense of kindness, you're actually chopping their wings because they will not find joy. And whenever you hear people turn, you know, now it's exam time, people finishing school, people finishing university, etc. And everyone's like, go chase your dreams, and you could do it. And you even see young children in grade one, like, you know, like they need to get in the trick, and they're going to have to go here, and they're going to have to do this, and, they, and, it's, and it's so important for them to chase their dreams. And yes, chasing your dreams is important. I'm not sure if the word chasing is correct. I think, you know, maybe a nice jog towards your dreams is more appropriate. Chasing means that you're single-minded and you're tunnel vision, and that's dangerous because tunnel-minded focus on one specific element of your life will come at the expense of so many other things, like your family, your religion, your your core, your, your, your who you are, your identity. No, the most important thing is that they can make money. First of all, I'm not even sure if that's the, the way to make more money by becoming so single-focused. Well-rounded people do better financially. But... I, I, I negate the whole premise. Why is the single most important thing that we're supposed to have from our children is that they make a good living? That's a priority. It's not the priority. The single biggest priority is that they live a life of meaning. And you cannot have meaning without family. But if you tell them that the world surrounds them and they're the center of the universe, how in the world do you ever think they're going to be able to have a happy relationship, a happy marriage? How do you think they're going to be able to be a good parent? By definition, to have a good, meaningful relationship, they have to have humility. Two narcissists cannot be happy together. Right? And a narcissist cannot be a great parent. It's just, they can't. Why? Because they'll always put themselves before their child. And it's always going to be about them, not the child. It's always going to be them about, rather than their spouse. So, by pushing your child into a narrative of narcissism, thinking that you're doing it for their sake, so that they can actually chase their dreams, and it's all about them and their hobbies and their interests, forget about the, the moral issue your single goal for them to have a happy adulthood is, is being sabotaged. We're sabotaging them by, by telling them it's all about me, 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 me. That's a sab- we're sabotaging them because they don't have happiness. And then we were shocked that later on in life they, they, they just can't seem to find meaning and joy. But what do you mean? I gave them so much skills. Unfortunately, I've heard this so many times from parents. I gave them the best education, and that's important, and that's, you know, that's praiseworthy. But what about the values? Did you give them the best values? And again, I'm not blaming everything on parents, I'm not blaming everything on children. But when you see a pattern, a pattern forces yourself to ask a question, what is the pattern? What is the pattern? Often the pattern is, obviously there's always exceptions, but often the pattern 
in family dynamics is parents who raise children to be narcissists. Unintentionally. They, they don't think so. If you tell them you're raising your kid to be a good person, of course. But by pushing the single narrative that it's all about the kid's success and it's all about coming out on top and it's all about them being the best, and that is the, the single biggest narrative and, and giving them fear and paranoia about the world, you're not going to be able to get a job unless you do this, etc. You raise them with fear, you raise them with um, selfishness, and then you're like, why is an adult? Are they, you know, are they living a life of fear and selfishness? Why did they run away and leave me alone here? Well, you chased them away. You told them this country has no future. Now, you beg them to leave all too often. I'm not saying everybody, and I have to be sensitive, um, but all too often. That's what we do. We tell our children, no, South Africa doesn't have a future for you to go. And then we cry why, why they left us. And we tell them, go chase their dreams. So they went to chase their dreams. And part of their dreams was not to take care of their mother or father. Because they was never told that that's, that should be part of your dream. That your dream is to be a family person. And again, each person has their reasons uh, to leave, to come, etc. But the point is, we don't question often enough the narratives that we bring into our homes, into our marriages, into our, our parenting. What narratives are our children hearing? Not what are we saying. What are they understanding? What are we, what's, what's beneath the surface? Because all too often children pick up exactly what we're trying to say. And they hear. They're not fools. They're clever. And they can hear what we're trying to say. And if we want to raise children who will have meaningful lives and happiness, but fundamentally meaningful, then we have to realign our priorities and how we parent them. Yes, their success is important, but it is not the top of the pyramid. The top of the pyramid is values, Yiddishkeit, purpose, meaning, kindness, generosity, being good people, being a mensch. That's the top of the pyramid. And there are things under the pyramid, of course, there's that they should have skills and they should be educated and they should be ambitious, etc. That's all secondary. There's one thing at the top of the pyramid, I believe. You might argue, no, there's not. The pyramid can hold many things on the top. Well, children are not nuanced, and they'll struggle to understand what's actually the most important thing. Everything is pushed at the top of the pyramid, and you ask the child, what is the single most important thing for you, your parents? What's their dream for you? You'll be surprised. I've asked many children, what do you think your parents dreams of for your future more than anything. And I don't hear often enough, my parent wants me to be a mitch. My parent wants me to be a person of faith. My parent wants me to be a person of integrity. All too often, my parent wants me to be successful. My parent wants me to come top of the grade. My parent wants me to be an amazing sports person. Those are all nice. But at the top of the pyramid? Really? How did I make it to the top of the pyramid? And what's the consequences of the, if that's on the top of the pyramid? You're basically telling a child that their own success is the most important thing about their life. Not their, their love and their humility and their midot, their character traits. That's a dangerous narrative. What do you think? 34519? You could text, this is 101.95. My name is Rabbi Lili Afsin from Minskville Show, and this is the Fabrini Show. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Afton on 101.9 High FM.
This is 101.5 FM, and there's Rabbi Levi Yatsen of Linsfield Show, and today we're talking about the Rolla family and how we formed as a nation by starting as a family, and how in a family relationship, in a family dynamic, our children learn values as humility, selflessness, sharing. It's not about you. There's other people, there's feelings, honoring that father and that mother. And it's in that cocoon, in the best, best sense of the word, that you're able to raise people who will not be cocooned from life. In other words, that they'll be, they'll have the skills to navigate this world. And some of the basic skills of navigating this world are that it's not about me. Um, for me, when often people say, you know, you're a person of faith, I say I'm struggling with me. I struggle with faith. I'm not a person of faith, as if I own faith. Um, it's a, but yes, a person that tries to believe. What's the biggest um, upside of being a person of faith? So some people will say the biggest upside of being a person of faith and then believing in the 613 commandments is that it offers you a guide. It offers you a, um, a manual. Cynics would quote Karl Marx that says it's opium of the masses. Fine. And there's a lot of value in that, that when you believe in God, you have incredible guidance on how to live this world rather than just pick and choose your own values based on whatever you woke up, whatever side of the bed you woke up that morning. Um, but the biggest value for me personally about being a person of faith, uh, that works on my faith, is that it's not about me. If there's God, it's not about me. There's a much bigger thing going on, much bigger. It's incomparably in, in, in bigger than me. In other words, I am a, I have a role to play within a very big narrative and a very big purpose that's much bigger than my selfish pursuits. And if I get out of my own way, that's when I will find meaning and I will find joy. Because here's the irony. If, if a person's focused on their own joy and they're obsessed with themselves and their honor and their desires, they will not find joy. They'll be miserable. Joy is when you get over yourself, when you are not the center of the universe. And all studies have shown that when a person is a narcissist, they're not, they're not happy. Um, they cannot be happy. They're, a narcissist always fluctuates between two extremes. Um, huge entitlement and and self-pity, right? They expect everything, and if they don't get it, they feel very sorry for themselves. Um, and when a person lives a life of self-pity and entitlement, which often was nurtured by the, the way they grew up, what do you mean? Every, you deserve this, you deserve that. But how did Victor Frankl say it? He said, if you have the Statue of Liberty on the East Coast, then you should have the Statue of Responsibility on the West Coast. In other words, when a person's focusing on their rights and their liberties, but they're not focusing on their responsibilities, they'll be miserable. So you have a lot of kids growing up knowing what their rights are, and everyone focusing on, you know, my dream, and nobody should get in my way, it's my truth, and it's my story, and it's all about me, and, and me being true to who I really believe I am. And of course there's value to that. There's value, but it's not the value. The value is it's not about me. In other words, obviously you have to take care of yourself and the world should give, you know, focus, take care of your rights. 
But it's not for you to sit there screaming all day about your rights. It's you to focus and say, what am I here for? What am I needed for? When you have teenagers that all they're focused on is my truth and and it's all about my happiness, forget about the fact that it's not good for you know for others. It's not good for them. They will not be happy. A person has to focus on what's my responsibilities as a child, as a human being, as a sibling, as a friend, as a parent, as a spouse. What's my responsibilities? Not what's my entitlements. Oh, what do I get out of this marriage? Oh, okay, no more. I'm not getting out of the marriage what I thought I want. We've drifted apart, which is often the expression that obviously drives, personally drives me bananas. What do you mean drifted apart? As if something happened organically, you drifted apart. Drift yourself back together. Why did you drift apart? Why, how do you just drift apart? Focus. Go, go on a trip together and get yourself back. Spend a month, spend a year, do whatever you need to do. But what do you mean you drifted apart? And that's a, a, a valid excuse to, to break your word of, of building a life together. Again, I'm not talking about abuse. But the, abuse is the exception. And unfortunately, all too often, we, we make it the, the rule. Because suddenly it's like, no, I had a, I'm not happy. And suddenly it becomes part of the rule. No, the, the, the exception is divorce, not the rule. It has to happen sometimes, obviously. But it's not, the, it's not the rule. Sometimes a child has to break off a relationship from a parent. But that's an extreme example. That's not the rule. That's the exception. Not because, oh my gosh, they, you know, they, they didn't give me the same amount of inheritance as the other one. I'll never talk to them again, etc. Like, no, that's, the rule is you make it work. You don't have to necessarily like everyone in your family, but you have to love them and you have to be there for them. Which, by the way, is just a point worth sitting on for one minute. You know, often people think that families, we have to enjoy each other's company equally. No, that's impossible. You don't choose your family, and sometimes you'll have a sibling or an in-law or a parent who's not your style, and that's fine. So you won't necessarily call them eight times a day and go out for coffee and museum. Fine. But you have to like them. I'm saying you have to love them, you have to be there for them, you have to invite them to your simcha, you have to you have to care about them, you have to support them when they're going through difficult times, you have to carry them, of course you do. It's a responsibility. You know, for me, one of the one of the most heartbreaking things as a rabbi is when a person reaches out to me for help, and I know that they have a child or a sibling or a parent that could help them financially or whatever thing, but the parent, for whatever reason, that relative says, no thank you, I don't want to help them. And it becomes the community's responsibility, which is ridiculous. We have a responsibility to our loved ones. We can't throw them on the community. We have a responsibility to our family, whether we like them or not, is irrelevant. But these ideas of responsibility, ownership, whether you like your sibling or not, is irrelevant from a values perspective. It's your sibling. And the poor people in your family come first. The people who need help, that are whether they are your parent or your child, or your sibling, or your uncle or auntie, whatever, that's your responsibility. And all too often we're like, yeah, but I don't like my sibling, you know, they, they, don't, they mistreat me, so I'm not going to take care of them. I said, what does that even mean? Where, where, where did you read the, that if, if, if your family member doesn't make you feel like a million dollars, that they're no longer your responsibility. That if your parent was uh, harsh and difficult, 
that you don't have a responsibility to visit them and take care of them and make sure they're fine. Where does that even come from? Like when I'll talk to children, I'll say, okay, you know, you have to visit your, your parent in the old age home in five years. Yeah, I'm busy. What does that even mean? Do you actually think that's a valid thing? Your parents brought you into this world. They might have not been the best parent in the world. They might have been shocking. But you have an obligation to honor your father and mother. And it's not about you. You have traumas, fine. Go work it in therapy. Doesn't mean you necessarily have to talk to them for five hours every day. But you have a responsibility to be there for them to make sure they're not lonely. It's your mandate. It's not about you. It's about the right thing. What are your thoughts? This is 101.9 Chai FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avton on 101.9 Chai FM. This is 101.9 Chai FM and Rabbi Levi Avton. And finishing off today's show, um, I will be I won't be on live for the next few weeks. I'm going overseas. Please gather with these shows, maybe uh, recordings from previous shows, and we'll, we'll hear some music in just a moment from Yisha Yibo's most recent song. But I want to finish off with that thing that we explored and kind of, you know, help us bring it home. Ultimately, if we want our kids to live a meaningful life, we have to teach them a narrative that it's a, life's about service, and it's about selflessness. And yes, you matter, and your needs matter, but it's not the biggest focus in your life. You have to take care of yourself, and, you have, and people should take care of you. But that's not your mandate in this world. Your mandate in this world is to make a difference, to love, to carry people, to be there for others, even people who maybe don't deserve your love, but you love them back regardless, especially if they're family. Because ultimately, it's about doing what's right. And yes, we could all have excuse why we don't, you know, take care of our parent or our sibling. Rabbi, if you had a sibling like the one I have, you also would never talk to them again. I've never stood in their shoes, I wouldn't know. But when there's so many people that don't talk to family, when there's so many people who are leaving their parents to be in old age homes and not visit them, it's not individualistic stories, there's a narrative problem. And that narrative has to be has to be fought. That narrative that well they weren't a great parent and I have to focus on myself and they they would be happy for me to focus on my dreams. All that nonsense has to be negated and has to be has to be removed from our mind. We have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to visit our parents to take care of them. If we have financial means, we have a responsibility to make sure that our sibling does not have to reach out to Yadav or the Feber or any other thing. How many of the, the people who are reaching out to festive organizations have family members who could carry them? And yet the family members saying, well, they've taken too much from me already, you know, they're just entitled, and there might be valid excuses, but ultimately what's the alternative? They're going and just going to other organizations from community and, and using the communal money to carry them. Well, you're able to. Does that make any sense to you? Doesn't make any sense to me. We each have a responsibility to take care of our loved ones, to take care of, to start with the, the micro and then expand our, our influence, expand our love. And that starts by teaching a child at the youngest age, my dear kid, I pray for your happiness and your success. But the most important thing I want you to know is life is much bigger than me. And you're here to play a role. You're here to live a life of meaning. 
You're here to live a, the, the mission that Hashem put you in here. And the mission is not about you. The mission is about helping others. As the Hashem said, a soul could come down in this world for 70, 80 years, basically an entire lifetime. And the whole reason it came down is to do, is to do one favor for another. Your life's mission is to be selfless, not selfish. Finishing off with a magnificent song by Yishayu, The heart's going to open up. May all our hearts open up to true values, relationships, and happiness. Amen. Have a great day.